Welcome to episode 51 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with Switzerland-based coach and specialist in active alert hypnosis, Claude Rebo. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today, I'm chatting with Claude Rebo who has, over the last 25 years, conducted more than 10,000 therapy and coaching sessions, as well as hundreds of days training. Whilst today he specialises in active alert hypnosis, which I'm keen to chat further about today, he has a broad and interesting background, initially training as a social scientist who ended up in charge of international public health initiatives for the Red Cross. Welcome, Claude, to this rapid change conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. I'm glad to be with you, and I'm really glad to talk about with everyone who is interested in in whatever I do. Fantastic. Well, really hoping we can jump just straight in, and if you could give people a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and, and really how you got started with all of this. With what, what I, all I got started was I did field research in Bangladesh during my studies. It was a post-war society, late 70s, 77, 78. So it was a society which came out of a war with a huge poverty, with um, many problems, but also with a huge amount of people who were so open to learn and so open to change. So from there, really, it started that I got interested in doing something about all that. So that was the kickoff. But uh, during the studies, I didn't really get the tools or the instruments or even not the right attitude for change. It took me uh, it took me another research I did for alternative trading organizations on how alternative handicraft productions would actually change the life of poor female producers. And there I got some good teachers, of course, local people who showed me how things could be changed and what is, was important for change. Um, where was yeah. your, your transition into um, more of the stuff that you do now? Yeah, it was uh, not, it didn't happen on one day. But one of the key experiences was when I was traveling on a ship during a storm 
And I was reading a book called Therapy and Trance by Bandler and Grinder, the founders of NLP. And I was so fascinated by this book, so so taken by this books that by this book that I couldn't even uh, re- I didn't even realize that there was a storm. But all the other passengers they were there and they were they they I mean they had huge troubles. Whereas I was so much taken by that. So I thought this is so fascinating that I have to go into this. Fantastic. So you you coupled you already had an interest given your your work and your background and your study in change and change management and suddenly you're yes. there totally absorbed in something that for you stood out as being wow okay this is fascinating I've I've got to learn more about this. So so what happened then how did you go about that that learning process? Well, um, it went step by step because I had also an important job, which was difficult in itself because I was in charge of health and relief programs for South Asia from Swiss out of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I had to travel a lot. I had this, as you can imagine, there was a lot, there were a lot of politics involved with all that. A lot of difficulties in getting things to the people who really needed it and so on and so on. So it was very practical. But in all that, I really started to be so interested in reading all the books about NLP and different things like um, solution-focused therapy and all that. that uh, and I was reading a lot during the night while I was working uh, in these projects during the day. So that was more or less the life. And so starting from 91, probably, Mm. I also started to provide NLP trainings. And I'm curious about this. I mean, now uh, many people will know that you specialize in this thing called active alert hypnosis. Could, Could you tell if there are people out there who haven't come across this term before, what is active alert hypnosis? How do you describe it? So active alert hypnosis is a method by which you actually induce hypnosis by movement. So while a person is moving, let's say, for example, on the on a bicycle, uh, of course, it's a stable bicycle, which you could have in your office. Uh, then while while moving on that bicycle pedaling um, you induce the trance but the trance of course is not a typical relaxation trance it is an active trance it is an alert trance you can actually compare it to some of the traditional dances like the dervishes and so on they're also in trance in hypnosis but they are not uh, in any way relaxed because they move so it is actually using this tradition in a very modern way because active alert hypnosis actually is not a product of any tradition it's a product of academia it comes directly from it stems directly from scientific research so in itself it is already a scientific byproduct it was just by accident more or less it was developed or identified as a separate method in um, around 1970 by a Hungarian called Eva Banyai in Stanford where she was 
with with a stipend, she was given the opportunity to do some research on a new type of hypnosis, and she actually detected this. So, so what what specifically was she looking for? What, what, what she detected? <laughs> well, she was. I mean, the story, it's always a story. The story is that she actually has seen some of the propaganda videos shown at that time in the Eastern European countries about how bad the Americans actually were dealing with the Vietnamese. So they were showing some of the pilots on their way to throw their bombs on Hanoi or whatever place. And she saw that these people were not in a normal waking state, but in a different state, which was very similar to what she would call a trance state. So she thought, okay, I will have to figure out if it is possible to um, have a trance state with open eyes and with movements. I mean, that's a story. Mm. And probably she also had some other uh, more traditional inputs, which is not um, which is not recorded, but also we know that in the southeastern European countries there have been some similar traditions in dancing with some of their traditional dances. So she could also have gotten her information from there. So, what, what was your reaction? Uh, personally, to, to first seeing active alert hypnosis, because a lot of people, you know, when they think about hypnosis, they conjure up, don't they, the, the, this image of the person with their eyes closed, slumped in the chair, uh, and so on. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so how did you personally respond to, to seeing that it, it it wasn't necessarily like that? Well, for me, it was clear, but I didn't have any scientific procedure by which I could actually use it um, during a normal coaching or therapy day. So I, I knew that I could actually uh, run somewhere and after a certain time, I would get into a state like runner's high and so on. But this is not very practical in, in, in your office. You cannot... Uh, you cannot uh, uh, run such a session in a, in a two hours hypnosis or therapy session. So it's not possible to go out and run with somebody in that way, hmm. at least not for me. So, so um, I was electrified by this possibility to induce uh, hypnosis by movement and that it could be done in the office and that it could be done I would call it in a clean fast way which is would be acceptable for everyone so whenever I read about it I really went uh, to the first uh, pos possible uh, opportunity to get trained in this I fig I found out that uh, there was nothing, not so much to be trained about because it was still very scientific. And from there, I just started experimenting. So I have further developed the whole thing and made it available for learning and for many other things which were actually not thought of beforehand. So I, I uh, and some of my listeners won't know, but I, I saw you talk about active alert hypnosis at the UK hypnosis convention uh, last year, and it was absolutely fascinating to see, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I know we've spoken about that previously. Um, 
But one thing that, that I was curious about was, of course, it looks very unlike the the sort of the stereotypical hypnotic interchange that you would normally expect. So um, if someone had was saying, well, look, I'm going to go and see a hypnotherapist, they might have expectations that they're going to lie in a chair and, you know, ask to close their eyes and relax. But of course, that's not what you're doing. So my, my question is, is how do you frame what you're doing with people when they come and see you? Do they think they're going to come and, uh, and be hypnotized? Do you refer to the word hypnosis at all? Do you frame it in a different way? So for me, it's uh, like uh, using a kind of flow state or flow experience for change. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, whether this I call it hypnosis or not, it's of lower importance. Of course, we all know it is hypnosis. We know that there is a scientific proof. Uh, we all, I also, in whatever I write, in every leaflet uh, you read, this is uh, based on this active alert hypnosis process and so on and so on. So it's completely transparent. But of course, the attractive part of it, it is a kind of flow state. It's a kind of easiness and you know that flow state is defined as a state where you lose where you lose your selfless um your yourself your in a way so you're selfless then you lose your time consciousness so it's timelessness timelessness is part of it and then effortless is a very important element of it and it's a rich of information so i mean these are four very important arguments and more or less every client is actually attracted by that and um, so they like it obviously i'm also working with uh, typical traditional hypnosis or um, you cannot do for everything uh, uh, the active alert hypnosis, but for many people, it really helps. So what are the sorts of uh, issues, challenges that you find active alert hypnosis very, very useful for? So, I mean, from general, the over the past 30, 40 years, there have been, let's, if we try look at therapies, hmm. then it has been very successful in working with depressions. Because uh, by moving, you already somehow change your body in a way that it helps the body to get over the depression. So, so by the movement itself, you also have a tendency to help the client to move towards a solution, even if you just let the client move. But then, of course, you do some, you, you do your typical therapeutic work while your client moves and it's the only thing which is really clear it is faster than the traditional hypnosis and also if you see that this could be a long session like three four hour sessions which um, if in some difficulty cases um, could happen then you may not be able to conduct that on a stationary bicycle because uh, the client probably won't be able and it's also difficult to be with the client who is on a bike for such a long time mm. but in general good for depression good to overcome bad feelings 
and like EM, you can do EMDR, for example, that's something I developed recently, like uh, replacing EMDR by self-movements by the client. So you actually could, could get out of it with the format I propose to the client. And then presentation, uh, fear of presenting, um, school problems, examination problems, then uh, low ego, low self-esteem, all these things, then uh, whatever. I mean, you can do whatever. Mm. It, I, usually, if uh, I even do age regressions on the bike, uh, but not with everyone, because if I see, well, it could take longer um, and it would take more than an hour, I, I, I choose the chair. For sure. I, I, I really like um, this idea that, you know, if you're dealing with things where a uh, maybe you could call it a high performance state would yeah. be a useful end result that you could use and, and have flexibility in your approach to use something like active alert hypnosis, that there's a weird kind of contradiction, if I stop and think about it, of the typical hypnotherapist perhaps, you know, spending, you know, five, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes even doing these deep, relaxation moments where you're getting someone slumped in a chair deeper and deeper and deeper more relaxed yeah. more relaxed and sedate when you know ultimately what you want to take them towards is a high performance state it, it kind of well seems it's not really uh, a typical it is a flow state i would not necessarily call it a high performance state it is hmm. um it is not uh, let's say in terms of uh, results Let's say I had uh, athletes who came before the Olympic Games. Games. So, uh, but even for them, they were actually pedaling very slowly. So, in terms of their athletic performance, I would say they were lousy. But they were in a perfect, in a fascinating state of hypnosis. They were so absorbed and so dissociated that um, that they really could do all the change work so it is not uh, high performance it's really the hypnosis so it, are we talking about that moment specifically where so for example i am i i want to preface this to my listeners yes. by saying <laughs> i am not a runner however yeah. there have been times in my life where i've i have been at the gym and i felt like things were tough i'm running on the treadmill um, yeah. but then something happens. I become absorbed in something else. I go off on another tangent, another thought, and actually yeah. my body is just kept going. And suddenly I can look down and go, wow, I've done another couple of kilometers. And I, I didn't even realize. Yes. I, is that that sort of moment that where you would argue I've become so absorbed in something that whilst I'm still moving, yeah. I'm in you that You were in that, an that active alert hypnosis at that moment, but, um, in, in your case, it happened because you just did it. Um, I don't say that it ha happened by accident. It happened because you have your mental power to do that. Mm. You bring yourself into that state. Now, in active alert hypnosis, it's, it's, it's a very reliable process by which you, you help a client to get into that process within a few minutes or even with young people, it's even faster. It's sometimes incredibly fast. They, after half a minute, they're already in that state. So, so, um, 
uh, now taking this in, into consideration, um, that's that's the important part of it, that um, that you actually have a systematic way to produce this. And it's an easy way. So if there are people out there and they're thinking, this, this sounds interesting, I'd love to be able to, to go and experiment with, with, with yeah. this and start implementing some of the steps for becoming more aware of this active alert state. What, are there things that you could recommend that they could go uh, and do after they hear this podcast that would help to trigger that for them? Well, of course, they could have a look at my homepage, but even there, there is not really uh, so much written about it. Unfortunately, this whole method has been kept quite academic in the sense that it was that these were only few people who really practiced it. That's the reason why I actually decided to now train people in doing that and now also train instructors to do that to train people because we want to spread it further and further so that many more people can act, can get access to to this fascinating method so um, that's part of it but of course we also um, um, some of my instructors i call them my instructors because they just recently passed their certification process they they also uh, would train in English. And then, of course, uh, based on this, we, she, or she would offer courses uh, all over the world. Me too. This year I was already in Belgium. I was in Germany. And so we start. Last year I was in Poland. I'm thinking of uh, traveling to South America. So we are moving around with the method and spread it. But of course, uh, we are also limited in terms of uh, you cannot more travel more than there are days in the week. For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, we're going to put, uh, as you know, underneath your episode, we'll put some links so that if people are interested in learning this stuff, yes. it'll be really clear where they can go and where they can yeah. get some resources to be able to, to begin that journey. I'm curious, Claude, tell me, how has your, how would you define trance or how would you define hypnosis <laughs> yeah in general i would uh, i like the definition by the Elmanian, um tradition like bypassing the critical factor uh, hypnosis is an altered state of consciousness in which the attention is narrowed focused for the moment just in one on one or a few things Whereas other information or perceptions may tend to fade in importance or even pass unregistered for the conscious mind. Therefore, the meaning construction process, uh, it's actually a meaning construction process, is guided and um, in a specific direction. Also, the mind is very receptive to any idea, piece of learning. That's very important for me in that definition. That's what more or less I explain to most of my clients. Now, with the active alert hypnosis, I tell them, listen, it is a huge part of it is really absorption. You're absorbed so much in this fantastic experience, in this you're so much 
at the standing on the sand at the beach of the, uh, at the sea and you're walking and you feel the sand and so on and so on and you really see how the client feels that sand so he's totally there so he's totally absorbed in this fantastic experience and there is no idea it's a total dissociation from the problem or from the daily life or from the pain so that's how i explain it to the clients has that has that uh, definition for you changed over the years or have you pretty been pretty much been consistent not really uh, i'm i started with this uh, iceberg model of um, consciousness is only a small part of what uh, is visible and the unconscious is under the water and uh, now we need an access to this and in a way my definition is still somehow working on that like we bypass this critical factor and we get access to the full memory of the body and the body-mind system, but it's not as restricted to this definition of conscious and subconscious and so on and so on. But still, I use this traditional definition to, depending on the client. I like the fact that um, I think a lot of people make distinctions between how they describe hypnosis depending on who they're talking to. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's important. So if you cast your mind back, Claude, to when you began this process of learning hypnosis, um, if you were to give advice to other people who were beginning that journey, what advice would you give them? Well, I'm, my real advice is to just experiment every day at any place, wherever you want, just experiment, just do it. Just uh, take the risk to make a new experience. There are no mistakes. There are only experiences. So uh, that's my advice. Do whatever you, you, you come across. Uh, try to copy. Try to um, repeat what others do. Try to invent whatever, whatever you do and reflect in the sense that um, reflect about what you were able to achieve. That's important. Don't just do something because you have done it. Just do something because you know what it's creating. So I like this idea of inventing. Um, uh, and I know obviously you've talked about you, you taking active alert hypnosis and, and doing, moving it in some interesting directions. How do you, how have you gone about more specifically that process of inventing or creating or, or, or trying new things? Well, you know, it is not like, um, that I had the idea to invent more and more, but I give you an example. Mm. I got, um, a call from the owner of a tennis training center and he told me well my my athletes young athletes they need some mental enhancement training so can you help 
So I was thinking about what could be done. So they were all lazy in doing their mental exercises, and they also didn't like the endurance trainings. So my job came, as it turned out, was to combine mental enhancement and endurance training and make it fun for the, for the, for the athletes. So that was the objective. And uh, I had 25 athletes. I had one day. So um, I, uh, I did a channel session with all the 25 where we did certain things. And then after two hours of channel session, I had 25 active alert hypnosis sessions in a row. So I had 13 minutes per athlete. And uh, that meant pre-talk, after-talk, and active alert hypnosis. So pre-talk was usually one minute, and then it was seven, eight, nine minutes active alert hypnosis, and then it was the after-talk, uh, what did you learn, and how are you going about it, and so on. And I had really to design a new process to be able to, to, to go ahead with 25 people because it was such a short time. So that's where innovation came from. So I was not innovating somewhere in a, in a green field or something in a, in, or in the open sky. I had a task and by that I was actually taken to, to innovate or it pu pushed me further to innovate the solution. So it, it's really sort of growing as yeah. you're working with people um, yeah. rather than you sort of sitting down, you know, by a, a big blank sheet going, I'm going to invent something today. It's kind of evolved. Well, there is so much in uh, what your clients bring to you in terms of necessity for invention that uh, you just add a few more clients and then you have to be inventive anyway. So that's my advice. Instead of creating an invention cell in yourself, you just take more clients um, who are a bit more difficult or more more challenging for you and then you're anyway more or less pushed to be quite innovative. Fantastic. Claude, can you give me, uh, given that this is the Rapid Change Matters podcast, can you give me a couple of real examples where you've witnessed rapid change? Something's happened, they've come in and they've been a, had a particular problem, an issue, and there has been, in a fairly short space of time, a, a, a swift and dramatic transformation. You know, one of my best examples is because uh, is uh, my work with a journalist. I I sent out a letter to I don't know twenty five newspapers in Switzerland, telling them well instead of writing about crime only you could write about hypnosis. So out of these twenty five, one journalist actually called me said, well I'm interested. So she came with a photographer and then we talked about hypnosis, what is it and so on. And towards the end of the, the talk, she said, well, now I want to experiment. <laughs> so I, I, uh, then I said, yeah, sure. That's the reason why you're here. So she 
she had an issue. The issue was she was so scared of talking to more than two or three people. So she had, whenever she had a team meeting or even when she had to present something, she was so terribly scared. So, I mean, she couldn't do it. She, she had, uh, uh, I mean, all the problems we know as a therapist, we know that this is one of the, the worst fears around so um, some people actually fear fear it more to talk to people than to be killed so anyway she had this fear and i had her on the bike for i think it's around 16 minutes uh-huh. and um, um, at the time the article was published which took quite a while i think two months i think she wanted to uh, test whether uh, this really worked so she could actually respond to all people who called her how did it work and so on she could tell them yes it worked with 16 or 17 minutes it was just amazing and it was a pure clear cool active alert hypnosis the photo the photographer was just amazed to 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 see it and it was from that day onward she had the resources to talk in front of the team and in front of people that's i that's absolutely brilliant and i love the yeah. fact that this is i mean I, i've spoken to a lot of people in the past around how we test for change and the importance of testing because i think that it's not good enough just to go well they feel better at the end of the session we want to see some real real responses when they go out into the real world in inverted commas yeah sure that's uh, if you're working with phobia, um, like then you go to the place where they used to have the phobia. If you work with allergies, then you bring in this, the, this stuff. So in my case, I'm at the moment, it seems that I'm allergic um, with uh, uh, yellow flowers which is quite strange. I never knew that. But uh, uh, I work, will work on myself today and then I will test it. I will go to such uh, yellow flowers and I will, I, I will test whether it's still there or not. So uh, you have to, uh, to make a reality check in, in such a way that the client actually also believes that the change has happened. So how do you go about that uh, process in that are there some people who you've done some work and even before they physically test it out, uh, how do you get them to a place where they're prepared to, te- to test it? Is, is there well, a difference? You know, between... there are things which are easy to test, like uh, uh, escalator fear of, because there is an escalator in the building I am, so we just go there and we just test it out. Or um, if somebody ever feared to 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 stand somewhere uh, high somewhere higher than two meters above the general level, then it's also easy to test. But of course, if you have more difficult things like, uh, then you really um, have to think how you're testing it. Or um, you can take the pictures of spiders uh, or some people who have claustrophobia. You lock them into a room and test it. So, I mean, you, you, you need some fantasy to bring 
I mean, that's also an important thing. Uh, the therapy or coaching session should actually be an experience for the client. They should know, okay, I have experienced something. It's now different. So I think that's important. Um, Claude, ch- changing changing track to just a touch. Um, when during the rapid fire round, uh, yeah. I asked you, and by the way, for those listeners who are tuning in going, what, what was the rapid fire round? Did I miss that? Scroll down underneath this episode on the page, you will see the rapid fire round. And it was eight questions in two minutes that all of my guests get. Um, but one of the questions was, um, what's one of the most important beliefs for a change worker to have? And you had this really interesting response. Uh, and could you remind us what you said? Yeah, I said that it is very important for a change worker. I mean, for yourself and if you want to change for yourself or if you want to facilitate change, facilitate change with others, that you have to accept that during taking showers, you can get wet. And uh, then if you accept that during shower you can get wet, you can do more or less every change instantly. Um, that means um, some people, they come to, the, to, to my uh, office and then they think, well, um, it will be a kind of dry shower and I will be clean. So um, this therapist or coach will do the work for me. And I stay out of the shower or he's taking the shower for me or something like that. No, Um, you have to accept that you have to confront sometimes the issue. You have to confront the bad emotion or whatever the, the, the issue is. If you're not able or not willing, then it will be difficult to change it. Yeah. So it's very much this idea of who has responsibility for the change. Yeah. 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 I, and I really like that. I, th- I think there is, I mean, I, I think I can't remember whether I told you when we first spoke uh, about the lady who came in and sat at my desk and uh, at my office and said, go on then, wave your magic wand and fix me. Yeah. Uh, and that sounds like someone who wasn't prepared to have the shower. No, that's, uh, but that's also an unlikely client uh, because I hardly receive such clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, I receive... Um, um, some of the managers, because I'm my office is in the financial sector of Zurich, so some of them they say, "Well, can you break in? Um, do you are you able to change me?" So, and uh, sometimes I give them a very I answer um, quite um, how how would you call it provocatively, mm-hmm. and I ask them, "Well, how would it sound if?" I break in or something like that. So then they're a, a bit shocked. <laughs> and uh, because I, I don't want to, to take the responsibility for their experience because they are doing the experience by themselves. And that's the important thing. Uh, it's, uh, and sometimes in the beginning of a session, I ask the client and if these are if if it is a normal client, I don't need that. But if it is a client who has somehow this attitude to, to uh, and I'm waiting, so I tell them a, a sentence like, uh, okay, Mr. So-and-so, um, now tell me, who is responsible for the success of the therapy? Uh, is it the therapist or is it the client? 
then uh, some of these people they would say well it's a therapist and then said yeah the therapist is responsible for the process but the client is responsible for bringing uh, bringing up the issues for participating for being open for sharing all the information and for going into the process so i make it clear that the success is not depending on me only because I don't want this burden. I suggest every change worker to get rid of this burden because otherwise you will have troubles for yourself and these troubles are not your troubles and uh, you have to, to keep away from this. Quite right. And I think that's just really sound advice. I really do. Um, the other, one of the other questions that I asked you during the rapid fire round was, was this. I said, can you think of a concept or an idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? And you responded around this idea that you, you used to believe that reflection and insight and understanding why someone might have an issue was the, the, the key to unlocking difference. Um, I, I'd like to ask you, is there, is there ever a time for reflection and insight? Of course, there is time for reflection and insight, but you have to see that I came up in a tradition where, um, for example, during my study, I studied ethnopsychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. So um, ethnopsychoanalysis is psychoanalysis uh, just uh, across different cultures. So, And some of the people saw, thought that if you do field research in another civilization or in another culture you have to do a psychoanalysis or you have to go to an analysis for yourself and um, and within this tradition of course we were always skeptical but um, nevertheless it was the general opinion of everyone that by knowing things you would also change them but um, it it's not really true because you change them by changing them. It's, uh, it's, it's much more simple. And uh, if you think that you have to reflect and then you have to come to a conclusion and then you can act, then it's sometimes wrong because you can change at any time. But there is a big but. I also know from my development work that by realizing cert certain things, people also decide to change them. If, for example, um, bad, uh, I was as I was involved in primary health care, so obviously all diarrheas and uh, problems with digestions and so on, they were more or less my daily business. So, and if you looked at some of the areas where we were working, the 60 to 70% of the problems, the medical problems were related to digestion. So, and um, of course, it's a hygiene issue. And of course, you cannot change hygiene issues for other people. So here, in such a case, we help people to understand themselves what was going on in, in, in their surroundings, in their households or in their, their neighborhoods. And then they were so shocked sometimes um, when they realized that what the child of the neighbor does directly flows into the drinking water he takes for lunch. And then they started to, to become active. Um, so that's also a way to create change. So it is 
it is one way, but only one. There are many other ways to, to, to create change, to make things change. Claude, I, I really like um, a lots of, uh, of the themes that run through uh, all, all of the stuff that you've been saying. Uh, and I'm just hoping that people are listening to this going, okay, first of all, um, this maybe this idea of hypnosis um, could be broader than we've been currently thinking about. Uh, and if people are listening to, to the podcast and they're keen to learn more, hear more about this, where should they go? Where can they get in touch? Well, I mean, it is always, uh, for me, it's really, um, and I'm create, trying to create that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm doing, I'm creating it, but uh, the speed is not as I would actually like it to be. We are now creating more and more information about that on um, our homepages. So the first thing is you just consult this homepage. There is already some information. There are some other interviews. There are maybe there's, there are some links to some articles, but I'm not satisfied. So mm -hmm. we are we are uh, we are trying to publish. Um, as much as we can, we are also, we are coaching, we are training and so on. So there are some limitations to, to what we can do. So at the speed possible, we publish, we make people aware. And I recently was in Belgium. So we have filmed the whole training class. We have still to this, to think about um, how, what we are doing with it. So Things are moving, but maybe not at the speed we would like it to be. Well, what you must do, and we will put whatever links that you have already given us, uh, I know, underneath <clears throat> your episode guide. But when there's more information uh, available, you must let us know and we will add it underneath this episode so that people can get hold of sure. this information. Um Claude, I've really enjoyed ch chatting with you. And what I really wanted to do was to ask, and it's really one final question, and um, no pressure, but people have come up with some amazing stuff in the past when I've asked this, but no pressure, clearly. Um, but uh, joking aside, is there anything when you thought about, uh, when we talked about you coming on the Rapid Change Matters podcast, anything that you thought might come up that would be useful to share, but that I just haven't asked directly? Well, you know, it is, uh, it is, as we talk about the active alert hypnosis, we could, of course, spend a lot of time to talk about flow states, flow, how to induce flow states. And, of course, a lot of research is going on. There has been, uh, I would call it traditional flow research. At present, there are some people who try, try it out. You have in England. You have a professor. He's called Jules Jules Evans. I don't know how to spell out his his uh, name Evans. So his book is quite fantastic, The Art of Losing Control, which um, describes in a way the attempt to get into flow states. So I think that's that's a lot we could think talk about in the future. So how to get into that flow. What is the tradition? How do we as a civilization um, uh, deal with this stage? Because from science actually was a lot of time against people enjoying this state. But people, of course, in the evening, they go to the pub and they have their beer. So it's also kind of flow state. Or they 
go to a football match and then they are singing with each other. It's also a kind of flow state. It's also hypnosis. So we have to, to be more open to these states and um, how we actually can use them uh, in a positive way. So I, I, and I, I think it, it amuses me that when people go and uh, they say, let, let the drinks flow, they really are in a flow state. Well, maybe uh, not, <laughs> not, not necessarily, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's an attempt to, to uh, and it's one of the f- fastest method mm. to get into a kind of uh, state of easiness. It's the, one of the best methods to just have a beer. Yeah. Is, is that one that you recommend oh, that- using therapeutically? With, with no. your clients, <laughs> whilst they're on the bike. No, but it's a, the, the other way. Now, if we come back to this, um, I would one very uh, fascinating um, study that could be done is uh, my hypothesis is that whatever drug state has been described by somebody, it actually could be induced by hypnosis again. So if somebody takes cocaine and he's describes to me in detail how the cocaine impacts it. Uh, Just a few seconds after he has taken it, uh, a minute after he has taken it, and so on and so on. What is the first uh, perception that he realizes that it was good quality cocaine and so on and so on. So if you... Or get this information, you can reinduce cocaine state, uh, beer state, whatever, by hypnosis. And that's a fascinating part because you could reinduce LSD states, whatever. That would be an interesting part for active alert, an interesting research for active alert hypnosis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, Claude, this has been yeah. fantastic and I've really enjoyed every moment of this and uh, and hearing about something that, that's just a, a kind of a different aspect of something that so many people uh, have been familiar with. Um, so thank you uh, again for, for spending some time with us and I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah, thank you very much. It was uh, fascinating to talk about this to you. And I also find this idea of having this type of podcast uh, uh, excellent. And I hope I will be able to do similar things as you do, but of course in uh, in other languages, um, uh, like in German, for example, where nothing like that actually exists. Yeah. Well, I could have a go at uh, an interview in, in, in German, but I don't think it would hold up. My, uh, my German's not so good. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.